I think that it's related to sort of a fear of what's going to happen if I hurt somebody. Like if I reject somebody or if I say something up front, I'm going to feel bad. The other person's going to feel bad and I don't like feeling bad. So instead I'll just ignore it and it'll fizzle out that way. Welcome to Unlocking College Life. Real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. Today, Alona is off, but we're going to keep rolling. And we are joined by Emma Abed, who is a student at the University of Michigan. And we're shifting topics a little bit this week to explore really going deeper into relationships in college. And Emma actually has an interest also in sexual health and sexuality in the college environment. And so I want her to introduce herself and to talk a little bit about how this became an area of interest for her just in general and also once she got to college. So Emma, I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Joy. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. My name is Emma. I'm a grad student. I'm in the School of Public Health at the University of Michigan, as well as the School of Social Work, doing my dual master's degree. And I graduated from the University of Michigan in 2018. So lots of Michigan ties here. And yeah, so I've kind of had a, I guess, sort of a topsy-turvy path, I guess, to where I am right now. And I was just telling Joy before this episode that it kind of all started back in high school. And I think that's when I started to have an interest in working in mental health specifically and working with people. My high school is in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley, and there's a lot of high pressure there to perform in a very specific way. And I think because of that, my high school had a lot of sort of mental health challenges. Like a lot of people at my high school were struggling with depression, anxiety, a number of other things. And we had sort of a crisis there. And I think That was where my curiosity started. My friends and I, I'll say it myself, like I was one of those people who was struggling with my mental health. And so many of my friends were as well. I was curious, where is this coming from? Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? So then in college, I focused mostly on psychology. I was also studying sociology and sort of exploring those interests. I got involved in some research in the psych department, which was on sexuality, relationships, gender. And I think part of my interest there was just because I also was kind of coming out myself as queer and exploring that identity and what that meant to me. And so I guess in college, I developed those things, was working in student orgs related to mental health. I took Joy's class, my second to last (laughs) semester as a senior. And I think that's where I started to get interested in sort of health education because I was like, well, Joy's job is really cool. So maybe I should look into that. Graduated and worked in as a sex educator for two years because I wanted to kind of continue working in the field of sexual health and relationships. But I felt that research was a little bit separated from working one-on-one with real people. I was working with a lot of other academics. And so that experience in between undergrad and grad school was really great for me to kind of confirm that I really liked working in that one-on-one kind of way. So now in public health and social work, I'm able to work on that sort of broader programming workshops, working in like a clinical social work setting, one-on-one with individuals, doing kind of wellness coaching with college students. So kind of a full like full circle back to the college environment, but now as more of an educator and grad student. So yeah, that's me. Yeah. So that was a really good full picture of where you got to where you are now. I wonder if we can just go back 
uh, you talked about that this was an interest and you noticed it in yourself and your friends back in high school and you were also exploring your own coming out process. And so maybe talk a little bit about your first and second year of college of where you found support to start talking about this. Because we hear from students, well, I'll just say, I think I might have mentioned this in another one of our episodes that especially when the topic of sexual health comes up, students, if we do talk about it, students will be like, this is the first time I've talked about this. Or maybe outside of like super intimate conversations. And so I guess I am curious, there was a space, how did you find it, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think, like I mentioned, I was growing up in the Bay Area and there's a pretty progressive, I guess, atmosphere there. And so my high school was lucky to have very comprehensive sex education. And so in a way, I already had been talking about that stuff in high school. And I think the process of exploring my sexuality and what that meant to me kind of meant that I had to be very, I guess, like, very intentional about engaging with those topics anyway, because I was trying to write my own script rather for how to engage in relationships. Like I was in my first relationship with a girl at that time and there wasn't really a clear script to follow in terms of what does dating look like? What does our sexual and intimate kind of part of our relationship look like? And so I was really thinking about a lot of those things and they were already at the forefront of my mind. And I think as I was making friends and talking to my hallmates we were talking about where we were from and our experiences there. And I started to realize that a lot of my friends and peers really didn't have the same background that I did or the same knowledge. And so I think that's where part of the interest in the conversation started was I realized I'm actually very lucky that I have this background. And it was odd to me, sort of how many people really, this is the first time I've ever spoken about this. It's actually embarrassing or there's a lot of shame. So totally. And that's more what I hear too. And that's a great perspective, right? Sometimes we don't know what we have until it's sort of in contrast to others. And so you're saying you actually had this at a younger age and we're kind of looking to further have those conversations and some other folks wanted to be like, oh, we haven't even talked about this yet. And so were you able to do that? And I'm also thinking about the listeners out there who might be relating more to the, oh yeah, I don't know where to go to start those conversations. Can you speak to sort of those people who might be wanting to do this, but really not sure where or how? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, it was a lot easier to have the conversations about mental health. I think we're lucky to have so many student orgs at Michigan that are focused on talking about student mental health and kind of having those conversations that are hard to have. And so, yeah, I was working, I was in a couple of different student orgs and helped co-found CAPS in Action, which was like a collaboration between students and the Counseling Center CAPS. And those were the main areas where I started to be able to have those conversations in a much more regular and much more like community-based way. So yeah, that was definitely happening my freshman and sophomore year. So that's what some students can look out for. Is Are there any student organizations that folks can start having these conversations? And then I guess now that you are a little bit on the other side of it, so Emma does some wellness coaching, which is really just one-on-one conversations with students about relationships and maybe in some cases, sexual health. I am curious. I know that you've thought about this a little bit. What comes up in those spaces that students are really sort of feeling like they need to be able to talk about, but maybe aren't talking about in other places in their life? Yeah. I noticed that most of the sessions that I have in the sort of relationships and sexual health category are about that relationships part. They're very intertwined topics, of course, but I think probably 99% of the time when a student comes in for relationships and sexual health, it's about setting boundaries with someone for the first time, or maybe they're going through a breakup and don't really know how to process through it. And I've seen people for like, I'm on dating apps and I don't really know how to navigate that. And so I think that 
for at least the students I've seen in wellness coaching, it's sort of an opportunity in wellness coaching to talk about those things and learn how to set boundaries, learn what your own values are for yourself and what you're looking for in a relationship, which can be any kind of relationship, friendships, things like that. And so in a way, I kind of expected relationships and sexual health coaching to be much more specific than it is. And I've found it to be much more about self-knowledge and learning those interpersonal relationship kind of skills more so than sexual health itself, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And so walk us through if it really comes down to boundaries for a student. What are your go-tos in terms of helping someone think about that? I mean, we always have little worksheets and activities and things like that, but I often will just ask them to sort of reflect. And, you know, I had this one student, for example, who was having some trouble setting boundaries with a parent. And so I asked, what would be the ideal situation here? What are you willing to share or not share? What are the contexts where you're more willing to share with this person or not? And then kind of coming up together with some examples of how they might set boundaries in the future. So once we've determined what that person actually is comfortable with and not comfortable with, we'll come up with using communication skills. We have little examples of those as well, trying to move towards assertive communication that is firm but not aggressive and expresses what that person truly actually wants in a way that feels right to them. So it's sort of just about communication and thinking through what it is that person actually wants. (laughs) Yeah, and I was actually helping to facilitate a conversation in a different class Last week, and as you're talking, I was thinking one of the things that came up, which I thought was a really interesting question, was the student was sort of exploring their own, I guess, approach towards relationships. So let's just say towards hookup culture and or what they want in a relationship. And they said they've gotten to the point where they can sort of see what they want through an individual lens. And they were sort of asking the question of, okay, so I can maybe see that, but I'm surrounded by this larger norms and expectations. And that she was kind of even saying it gets all mixed up sometimes. I wonder what you think about that. Because I know that we've talked about this before too. Just sometimes we even talk about hookup culture might have lots of ways about it. And so, yeah, I wonder if you just weigh in on where people can sometimes get stuck in that because people can also judge it too. And there's not like one way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's even further complicated by us trying to emerge out of the pandemic, too, with people trying to figure out within this overall pressure of hookup culture how to navigate COVID safely and how to actually socialize with people again, maybe while feeling anxious or it's definitely fraught. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely just a challenge that comes up very often. It's very hard to tease out what it is that you really want when there is such intense pressure to behave a certain way. And so, yeah, that's something that we'll work on too. I think that there's not really one solid answer. It's just about really taking that time to reflect and think through what are my values? What are the things that I'm looking for out of a relationship or a hookup or what have you? And I think that's part of what's great about wellness coaching is it makes the time for the student to actually reflect on those things and try to work through it a bit. So what do you hear the most about the pros and cons of hookup culture? And I don't even want to assume that that's a norm on all college campuses. I think that we can assume it's somewhat of a norm in a lot of maybe like bigger campuses, but I really don't know. And you might even know more than I do. So I am curious, what do you mostly hear? Because I'm sure you hear sort of the spectrum of opinions about it. There's definitely a spectrum of opinions. I think that at this point in time, the thing that I will see most often is the experience of trying to sort of seeing someone casually and having it evolve into more of a serious relationship, but 
neither person wants to put a label on it. And then if and when that relationship ends, there's a lot of confusion, there's guilt for feeling sad, there's a lot of things that kind of come with that because the lack of the label makes it seem, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal when really essentially was a relationship. And so I find that there's sort of a norm right now to try to keep things quote unquote casual by not putting a label on it when really all the aspects of that kind of relation between the two students fall in line with pretty much a traditional relationship. That's a really common thing that I'll see people trying to navigate now. So like the lack of label might distance them from acknowledging that actually everything else that they're doing might make it seem more a relationship. Yeah. And so going back to like the pros and cons, I think there's the pros of that being that maybe you don't have to be so committed to something and have the freedom to explore and can define things for yourself. But then of course, the cons are that you don't really always have that same level of trust, commitment, stability that you might with something that's labeled. But because it's sort of a difference of is it labeled or not, these other layers of is it essentially a serious relationship? Is it just something casual? How do you treat someone in that situation? Are you allowed to ghost them or should you have an in-person conversation? It just invites a lot more questions that can be really, really hard to navigate, especially on your own. What's the safety in not labeling it? I think there's a certain safety in not labeling it because it feels like, oh, if I need to end this relationship or if the other person ends it, it's, oh, well, it wasn't that serious, so my feelings won't be as hurt. I think that's what people expect to happen. And in my experience with students I've spoken to, it doesn't really prevent that from happening. Even if there isn't a label, losing someone who is important to you is still going to hurt. And I think that makes sense, but it can be hard to stomach. As you're talking, I'm also thinking to myself, how is this dissimilar, I don't know, from friendships even? Because I think not that we label friendships in quite the same way, although I'd be curious what your perspective is on that. Is this like my bestie or is this just a friend? Because I hear students talk about those kind of relationships getting really mixed up too. I thought XYZ person was like a really close friend and then all of a sudden they weren't answering my texts anymore. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's the same dynamic that's kind of at play there. Is that, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's definitely the same dynamic. I've also definitely spoken to students who are having similar challenges with friendships. And a lot of times I think it comes down to difference of expectation for what a friendship or a relationship or a hookup should look like. And I think that operator should is very important there because that's always informed by our own experiences of culture and media and family and the things that we've learned over our lives. And when you come to college, there's a lot of people with very different backgrounds and perspectives than the one that you might have. So yeah, I think that it definitely shows up in friendships as well. It shows up in coworker relationships, family relationships everywhere of the sort of people maybe having different expectations for what that relationship should look like. Right. And then there's also, I think, the added layer of when things get complicated. I mean, you mentioned, sort of briefly mentioned ghosting, which might be worth us talking about a little bit. But all the different mechanisms of communication, whether people are texting or whether they have a relationship that's primarily on like social or whether they are in person a lot, sort of having to navigate all of those multiple layers of what does this mean when this happens on this platform or not? And I'm wondering if you have noticed there's particular ways it breaks down. Yeah, I think, again, it's like super variable and people use all those things in different ways. But 
I think there is a tendency for people's minds to fill in the blanks if you don't have the full story. And there are a lot more blanks when you're texting or using social media than there are if you're meeting in person. So it can be really hard to read into something like a text and the punctuation, the timing, things like that, because you don't have all the information there. And yeah, I think that's kind of what comes up when you ask about those different venues or modes of communication. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's something we've talked about too, is sort of cautioning ourselves from filling in the blanks or going into the assumptions and reminding ourselves of what actually happened or what we actually know versus letting our minds sort of spiral. But coming back to the ghosting thing, to what extent do you think that's sort of normalized in college culture? And if so, why? Yeah, I think it is pretty normalized and it's been normalized not just in college culture, but in our greater culture right now for the past few years. And I think that it's related to sort of a fear of what's going to happen if I hurt somebody, like if I reject somebody or if I say something up front, I'm going to feel bad. The other person's going to feel bad and I don't like feeling bad. So instead, I'll just ignore it and it'll fizzle out that way. And so, yeah, I think it comes down to just wanting to avoid negative feelings. And so I always think that it's in my own personal experience, I think it's always better to try to be upfront and talk to someone about, I'm not interested in pursuing this further, whatever it is, but it can be really, really hard to do. And I don't think a lot of people have practice with rejecting people or trying to have those hard conversations, especially in college where people are maybe have less experience with navigating those kinds of relationships. So I think it makes sense to kind of fall into that. Well, yeah, and it actually just relates, I think, to all sorts of conversations in a relationship that we don't have a whole lot of practice doing, whether we're talking about being really honest, whether it's like a true rejection or whether it's that something has shifted, feeling shift about everything. Or even with, I feel like we talk about this a lot with relationships, is that it's also people need practice talking about what they want and don't want, whether that's in the relational field of just, I like alone time, or I need to be with you all the time. What do you prefer sexually or anything like that too? And so if someone's thinking to themselves right now, man, I want these skills. What the heck do I do? Is there a class? Where do they go? To gain these kinds of skills? Yeah. Like how do you practice it when it's not modeled very well out there? Yeah. Well, of course, there's things like your class at, at Michigan where people can practice those things. I know that there's things like wellness coaching where people can practice it as well. I mean, one activity that I almost always bring up in wellness coaching with relationships and sexual health is called the Relationships Four Quadrants activity, which I think is so helpful for anybody at any stage of life, which is essentially where you can think through for a given relationship, whether that's romantic, a friendship, you think through the things that are absolutely essential to you, the things that are deal breakers, the things that are tolerable, maybe you don't love, but you'll tolerate it. And then things that are bonuses. And so I think that can give people a lot of clarity to actually sit down and think like, what do I want in a romantic relationship? What do I want in a friendship? And kind of figuring that out first can make it easier to then communicate those things. Totally. I think that's a great example of something that anyone can do, whether it's about a friendship or whether it's about another relationship. And I'm also thinking sort of back to what we were just talking about with wanting to avoid hurting people. And I think that's also an interesting topic and worth exploring for anyone really is, actually, I was just talking with someone yesterday who had a really good friend, we'll just say like reject them about something. And that on the one hand, this student knew that the person who was 
rejecting them had actually thought really deeply about it. They wrote like a two-page letter to set a boundary, basically. And on the other hand, the student that this happened to, of course, they were hurt. And so they were kind of in this place where they could see the other person's perspective, but also they were hurt. And I guess what I'm going with this is that another learning I think that's really hard is we can't control how people are going to react or feel anyway. And so trying to control it by avoiding it actually doesn't solve the issue. (laughs) It's almost like ironic. Yeah. It's like you're protecting your own feelings, maybe. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, exactly. I think that's exactly what I was thinking too. And I'll do that activity sometimes with students. Of It's like the circles of control where you think about what is it that's in my control, what's in my maybe influence and what's out of my control. And it's exactly like you said, we can control our own thoughts to some extent, our reactions, but we really can't predict or control other people's reactions, thoughts, or feelings to what we say. I mean, I can even think of my own experiences of Me thinking, oh, I'm going to just casually say this to this person and they're going to be totally fine with it and having them react completely different than I expected. It's just fact of life, I think, all the time. And so if you can't control other people's reactions, then what can we do instead? I mean, maybe that person is going to be hurt. And then what are we going to do about it? Right. And that's okay, actually. Not that you're like intentionally harming people, but if there is hurt or misunderstandings, right, that that's part of it. In some level, we all can relate to that. And that is hard work. And it's just going to build more skills for stronger relationships later. And so that's why I think it's interesting to talk about hookup culture, which I totally agree has benefits. It's like some people, that's what they want. They just want to have fun and there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's also layered with this thing that you mentioned about almost like a pressure to not label, then it starts to get a little bit more complicated where you'd want the individuals involved in whatever those relationships are to be like, wait a minute, am I not labeling it because I feel pressure from this external norm? Or do I actually just not want to label it actually? It's like, how do you sometimes really tease out, are you being pulled by the crowd or is this actually what you want? Yeah. It's like you said, like with any sort of overall culture thing, it's going to suit some people and it's not going to suit other people. And it is super hard to tease out. Am I one of those people that this is good for? Or is this maybe not serving me the way I want it to? And I think that really just trying to be mindful of how am I feeling in this relationship, checking in with myself can be really helpful, even though it's very hard (laughs) to get in the practice of. Yeah. And since you've been sort of thinking about this, and you've actually like been in this work for a couple of years now, I feel like you and I've had this conversation, but is there anything you're noticed that's shifting, maybe for the positive and younger folks culture around relationships, sexuality, sexual health that looks like promising to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I've seen a lot of really amazing shifts in people who are younger than me, not to say young people, because I consider myself a young person. But I think in the younger generation, I've definitely seen a lot more acceptance, self-reflection. People are interested in learning these skills and kind of want to have better, more positive relationships. And I'm even thinking of my own coming out experience, which was, I think, eight or so years ago, and how it would have been so different now. It was pretty positive overall, but I still got a lot of judgment and snarky comments. And I feel like if I were a teenager coming out now, it would be totally different in a very positive way. How do you know? First of all, I work with a lot more students who are out. I see a lot more 
gender expression and diversity in that way around campus. In my field practice for my social work internship, I'm working with teens who are trans and non-binary. And I think that the sort of self-assuredness that these younger people kind of feel in themselves is really promising to be able to exist in the world and maybe face a little bit less of the bad stuff than we had to in the past. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else you really want to make sure that students who are listening know or anything that you like wish you had said that you hadn't said yet? I'm not totally sure. I think we covered a lot in the past half hour or so. I think, yeah, just the main takeaways for me are just that people's experiences are extremely varied and that everyone in college is sort of trial and erroring these things. And it's just going to be a process for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a process. And maybe even the folks who seem like they have it all figured out, like they probably don't. And P.S. older people don't either. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's not like relationships get less complicated. And I think that's okay. I think that's actually what we need to normalize is that as we navigate these, acceptance is probably the biggest piece and the vulnerability is does take practice. How do we name the things that are hard and work through them together versus sort of hiding it or not wanting to deal with it, which is, makes sense is, is how sometimes we react to these things. So thank you much, so much, Emma, for being on the podcast today. I think this is a topic we haven't quite explored yet, and I think this will really get students thinking. So Thank you. And we'll talk to everyone next time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, You should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.